There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another day, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Martin Ware. Martin Ware of Heaven 17. Martin Ware of the Human League, producer of Terence Trent Derby, Tina Turner, etc., etc., etc. We go into it all, so um, you're in for a real treat today. Um, really is one of Sheffield's finest. Um, before we get on with the episode, uh, a big thank you to Scroobius Pip. Uh, and all my brothers and sisters at the Distraction Pieces Network. I'd also like to thank 76 for producing this podcast. Also, um, if this is your first time listening to Off The Beaten Track, then all I'll suggest is when you get to the end of today's episode with with Martin, go and have a look in the the archives because it's about 250 episodes now that you can get stuck into and and there's some amazing guests that have been on there. We touch on a few in today's chat. We, we, we mentioned Andy McCluskey of OMD, but you can also hear me chatting to guests as diverse as Tommy Lee of Motley Crue, Fatboy Slim, uh, actors like Maxine Peake, Joe Hartley, um, Melanie C of the Spice Girls. There's a, a, a real, real cross-section of... Um, of wonderful creatives that I have some some smashing chats with and uh, and if you'd like to get even more content and support the podcast then there is a Patreon uh, it's patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash off the beat and track uh, and if you go over there you get access to yet another couple of hundred shows and each week I put up radio shows and video episodes and such and and it just goes in the in the pot to support the podcast from I think it's about 71p a week um so, yeah, you can find out about all of these things at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. That's beat and, not beaten, beatandtrackpodcast.com. Let's get back to today's episode. Please enjoy Off The Beat and Track Podcast with the wonderful Martin Ware. Right, I've got to take a quick break in this podcast because I've got some super exciting news. Off The Beat and Track Podcast is proud to go into partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. That's right. The Cacao Bar is not a chocolate bar. It's all the best bits of a chocolate bar put into a really exciting new alcoholic range. That's right. Gin, vodka, and a beautiful range of cream liqueurs. So one of the big bonuses of this partnership is obviously I'm super thrilled to have Hotel Chocolat working with us, but they sent me a great big box of this stuff. And I'm telling you... It's amazing. Go and check it out, www.hotelchocolat.com or over on the socials at Hotel Chocolat. But yeah, 
in the coming months, there's going to be opportunities for you to get involved with competitions with us, to win bottles of stuff. There's loads of exciting things coming soon, and I can't be more happy to say that this podcast is in partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. All right, let's get back to the podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Okay, we are recording. Joining me today via the means of Zoom, Martin Ware. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm not bad. I'm not bad. And and, and the conversations now, it, it appears that, I mean, we've never met before. And and we're recording this at the, the, the tail end of January uh, in, the, in the thick of a lockdown. Lockdown one, two, three, or whatever it is, I don't know. Um, so I, I'm just sort of... No one sort of says, oh, hello, nice day today, isn't it? Nobody talks about the weather anymore. There's one thing that you have to kickstart your conversations with, and it appears to be that kind of ever-looming uh, pandemic that we're, we're, we're in the, the, the midst of at the moment. And so what I want to ask you before we talk records, uh, Martin, is just how you found the last 10 months as both a, a human being and a creative. Um, phew, right. Uh, it's been very difficult for me. Um we were just about to embark on our busiest ever year performing live with Hem 17, uh, together with all the work I do with Illustrious and my soundscape work. That all got cancelled. Um, we've had, f- I think, 45 gigs cancelled so far. Um, and in the midst of this, um, I my brother died of COVID. <laughs> So um, <laughs> it's not been great, I have to say. Um, and not only that, I mean, I, I'm I'm a member of the Ivers Academy Board, so I, you know, which is for those of you who don't know, is a is you know connected with the Ivers uh, uh, Songwriting Awards, but also it's a it's a artist rights lobby group, uh, the biggest one in Britain. And uh, so I'm in touch with a lot of. Uh, people who are of a similar, you know, like members of uh, of the Ivers Academy, uh, but also some quite famous people. Everybody's struggling exactly the same. Um, I'm also principal of a MA course in commercial songwriting and production. Uh, and the poor students, you know, I, I feel for them massively because, of course, one of the main reasons for the for a lot of international students coming to London was their networking um, possibilities in London, and you know the sheer number of gigs and you know and and co-writing possibilities and the vast diversity of the musical ecosystem in London, uh, which they were coming to experience. And of course, they've been locked in the bedroom. Everything is on Zoom. Do you do you think that that's that punk ethos will kick in at this point, though. And, you know, with what you have at your disposal, which is Zoom and things like that, do you think, you know, people have gone and sort of had to rethink how they approach these things and, 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 and yeah, and use that kind of punk mindset of, of DIY and what, what, what can I do with what I've got? Yeah, I mean, people are resourceful, but uh, it's not the same, is it? I mean, for I'll give you an example. Like for some of our students, a lot, a lot of what they do is about collaborative writing together. They can do that on Zoom. Um, 
on not on Zoom, but like they can exchange files, etc., and work on work on things together. So yeah, the important thing is that people are resourceful. Young people are resourceful, but they feel kind of a justifiable resentment about the the way the world is treating them, and and some of it is. Obviously, you can't control the pandemic, but some of it is about the way that um, in 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 this world we're looking at that that young people are undervalued and under cared for, in my view. Um, and I just cannot see the sense in it. I just think it's purely um, uh, dystopian, actually, to 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 blame. I mean, a lot of there's a lot of blame for young people. Mm. inherent in the press and the media in Britain. Um, I just find it incredible. I, I, I loathe it, actually. Yeah. I no longer read newspapers. I don't read uh, or uh, I don't listen to any radio or TV news anymore. Um, I just get my news from selected news outlets on the internet. I think that's a really important thing to do, Martin. I've I, I done that maybe three weeks into it because it was just projecting negativity and fear. And it was like, I, do you know what? I don't need this. Like, This is a, a strange enough environment to, to adjust to as it is. I don't need endless news feeds of, of just fear and a lot of bollocks. And, and yeah. I'm, just, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm just not into it. I love that concept of uh, uh, the word that somebody came up with on Twitter, doom scrolling. Yeah, you know about it's a great word, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> So it's like, and then somebody did an advert for Iceland, you know, tourist board or something, and um, it said, "Don't doom scroll anymore." And they designed this thing. It said every or some some people had gone every uh, every day. The average person doom scrolls through twenty two meters of wow. Twitter on average. And uh, said, instead of that, we're going to, uh, they designed this thing where you scroll through and it's just beautiful photos of, of waterfalls and, and uh, the Icelandic countryside and yeah. stuff like that. Exactly the same amount, 22 meters of it as an antidote. I really like that. Because uh, I'm a positive person, I like to help positivity in the world. I like to help people. I like, I'm a socialist, I'm a proud socialist. Um, God knows how we got into a situation where being a socialist is regarded as a kind of taboo subject. Oh, no, it's crazy. In the media. I mean, uh, even now I get a residual kind of, you know, it's not guilt. It's like, am I, you know, should I even say I'm a socialist anymore in this country? I'm not worried about the consequences. That's not, but it's just, it's like, it's so pervasive, all the media now. Everything is is what I perceive to be right wing compared to where, compared to my kind of, um, l- you know, left leaning. I'm I'm hardly, you know, I'm hardly a, a socialist worker, a, you know, kind of sandwich board wearer. You know, I'm a normal guy. I grew up in Sheffield, which is you know, jokingly referred to as the Socialist Republic of South Yorkshire, mm-hmm. uh, but it really was. You know, my dad's a trade unionist. My he worked in a steelworks all his life. The other members of Hem 17, Glenn's dad worked in a steelworks all his life. Uh, Ian's dad was a builder all his life. They were, they were all trade unionists, proud working men who had a function and a, 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 a purpose in their lives, which 
enable them to support their family. Um, what's wrong with that? Mm, nothing. Uh, together with the, together, nothing. Well, well, together with uh, the 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 fantastic, um, you know, kind of welfare state and and the NHS etc., which has now been appropriated by the Tories, so that they can run it into the ground and asset strip it for their mates who don't even pay tax in this country. Yeah. So that's very patriotic, isn't it? Yeah. So fuck them all, is what I say. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you won't find any and, laboratories you know, I, on this I, podcast. Yeah, yeah. I, well, you know, yeah. We, we, uh, I got contacted by some people who are, are close to Corbyn and, um, and various other people at the left of the left, shall we say, mm-hmm. uh, within the Labour Party and outside the Labour Party to see if there's a new way we can represent socialism. And so I've been kind of talking to them, had a couple of Zoom calls. Um, I, you know, we all know the problem is that we'll split the Labour Party. So, uh, and therefore, the argument is that we'll never get into power again. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I personally, if it was me, I'd say just go for it. Because um, the, the main things that need changing in this country are, uh, as far as I'm concerned, proportional representation. Yeah. Uh, there needs to be there needs to be a written constitution uh, before these things happen, and there needs to be a representative second house. Um, I, uh, if those things don't happen, then nothing's really ever going to change anyway. Absolutely, absolutely. Mine, I'm going to ask you for your first record, uh, and for track one, I'm going to ask you what you regard as the song that has the greatest ever intro, please. Oh yeah, right. Well, I do a lot, quite a lot. Of Obviously, not during COVID times, but I do quite a lot of uh, DJing, and um, I'm a big soul fan, you know, uh, and um, as well as electronic music. And yeah, well, I've got very eclectic tastes. But uh, the one, <laughs> the one intro that I find thrilling, uh, and I often used to launch my sets just to surprise people if they think it's just going to be like, you know. Uh, all the kind of late seventies, early eighties electro, uh, electronics uh, pop hits is I start with um, a kind of filtered version of "In the Stone" by Earth, Wind and Fire, uh, which I just think is the most thrilling intro to to any track ever. It's it's glorious, Martin. And and I've got to be honest with you, I hadn't heard that until you sent your songs over. And, You're joking. Uh, I haven't. Um, no. And uh, and I, you know. I'd say I'm a soul fan as well, but for some reason, that record had just completely passed me by. It's a, it's a majestic opening, isn't it? And it's a perfect thing to to kick off a DJ set with. Well, it really is. And um, in fact, I went to see them um, about five years ago at um, at the O2, and uh, they start they opened their their entire set with that. And it was just like a massive celebration. The entire audience, 12,000, whatever, were on their feet cheering. Oh, what a thrill. I, I, I always ask um, musicians this question. I've struggled for two years to actually phrase the question right, but bear, bear with me, Martin. So I'm, I'm always interested as to um, how the way that, that people listen to music now 
uh, has affected the way that people make music. So where I'm going with this is the early days of, of, of the Human League and, and Heaven 17 yeah. and the music you was making them. Um, people would theoretically buy that on, on, on vinyl or cassette. Um, yeah. And now, obviously, people are now listening via streaming services. And what we've also seen over the years is with, I guess, more in the pop market, um, attention spans are, are, are becoming slightly shorter, and we live in a very, as you know, as we touched on doom scrolling and twenty meters of, of, of scrolling. So you know, it's it's very fast fix, and um, so what I'm saying is, when you you know you work in songwriting, you know, workshops and things like that. Now I'm hearing yeah. more pop music now that starts with a chorus. There's absolutely no fat on the bone. I just wonder if that the way that people are listening to music now has affected how you approach songwriting? Um, it hasn't, funnily enough, because uh, my view is, having been doing this for 40 years and having worked with some of the world's best performers and songwriters, I know what works, and it's eternal. Um, I'm not saying everything has to be traditional song structures. That's mm. not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there are certain... Uh, paradigms that always work in whatever context you want to you want to put them into so uh so and um if you go chasing your tail like go right well people are only going to listen to this so i'm just going to do that and the rest of it is really just the you know just to make up time what's yeah. the point yeah you might have to warm yeah, yeah. That's the logical outcome of that. Uh, and I don't believe that's the case. I think people want to go on a small emotional journey uh, uh, that makes them, at the end of the track, want them to put the track on again at the start. And that can that theory um, translates into many different um, contexts. And it was, it was speaking to... Um, who was I speaking to on here that, that was explaining? It was... Um... Andy McCluskey, and and he was saying about how um, pop music to get on the uh, was saying that that pop music now to get on the radio, the vocal has to be in by X amount of seconds and and, and things like that, and and it just made me think, you know, he you know he said Enola Gay wouldn't have got you know wouldn't get mainstream radio play now because of the vocal doesn't kick in for however many seconds it is. And and just looking at that Earth, Wind & Fire track, you know, it's a huge, majestic intro, yeah. but would that get, you know, mainstream radio play now, a song with an intro as grand and as long as that? I don't know. Well, no, no, but then, you know, what does Radio 1 play? What does Radio 2 play? Yeah. You know, the, the way that they've, in Britain, the way that it's, it's turned is from we were world leaders in uh, uh, in songwriting and new forms of pop, yeah, uh, which would be supported by that, you know, national network of radio stations, even commercial stations. Sure, not not for any altruistic sense, just because we were good at it and it sounded great, and and it and they had a great number of listeners. And it's when it's when the in the nineties all those um, outlets started getting taken over by the. Uh, by the kind of dance fraternity, sure. frankly, um, that they all started going downhill a bit. I love dance music, like the last, like the next person, and uh, I think Hem Seventeen and the early Human League have inspired quite a few 
Absolutely. kind of 90s and 90s DJ. Absolutely. But uh, it kind of got too powerful, you know. So now we end up with Radio 1 and Radio 1 Extra, uh, which is fundamentally, you know, either banal uh, kind of formulate pop or, or, or just dance dance kind of not very good songs yeah. dance more beats based uh radio 2 is basically regarded as a nostalgia station yeah. which is ridiculous the only one that's worth anything is radio 6 as far as i'm i'm concerned oh, you know? six music is a is a glorious place to be it really is well it, it, it is because you you know there's still you're still not quite sure what's coming next yeah you know and the and the and a lot of the people who present the programs i mean you know i know i've been on Stuart McConey's show a few times and Radcliffe and they're friends of mine and, and you know that sums up where, where we should be at. Um I, I've got a story for you actually, which is I was working a few years ago with uh, LaRue, mm-hmm. who's a friend, uh with Hem seventeen and uh, she quoted as as one of her big influences and so radio uh, one of the radio produ- uh, BBC radio producers had this idea. They want, he wanted to produce this series of collaborations between new artists and uh, you know previous generation artists mm-hmm. um, uh, as a mutual thing. Film it at Maida Vale and put it on the red button on the telly. Mm. Uh, 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 and um, it turned out to be a massive success. We did we did three of her songs, three of our songs. And she sang on our songs, and we sang on her songs, and so on. And we had it was our band, and blah blah blah, massive success. And that that ended up being a big uh, success. It was the biggest thing ever on the red button in music. Wow! <laughs> yeah, this was about five or six years ago, and uh, it beat Robbie Williams, Estenbury, and so. You know, there are still innovative producers out there, and this was supported also by Radio 6, by the way. That's why I mentioned it. Um, There are still innovative ways to get the message out there, but I believe in my absolute 100% certainty in my heart that there needs to be uh, mainstream TV and radio in Britain. It doesn't have to be national broadcasters. I don't care who does it. That caters for people who just want to hear songs that's not in a particular kind of you know in a particular genre you don't have to listen to absolute 80s for instance Mm -hmm. or you know people want people if you if you look to people's listening habits or collections or whatever they have on their phone on spotify whatever they do everybody's got eclectic taste everybody no exceptions Nobody listens just to, just to you know, trap all day, or nobody listens. Well, maybe some people listen to classical music all day, but you know, basically, most people have a wide range of tastes nowadays. I believe. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, before... Where that? Where the fuck is that radio station? Excuse my language. No, I mean it? it is six is the closest you're going to get. Mm. I mean, just and so anyway, that, that leads back to my uh, my. The reason I mentioned this was. Uh, what it's not the listening habits of the public that define the sort of songs that are being made. It's where you can get those songs played. Yeah, for the general public. Definitely, definitely. And, and I've got a quick story for you, um, Martin, regarding what you just said. 
Um, this very question, sung with the greatest ever intro, last year um, I had Ellie on this podcast and she chose, oh, and, and she chose Heaven 17. <laughs> oh, which one? I can't remember. I was trying to think when it popped in my head and I thought, which one did she go for? But she definitely chose Heaven 17 uh, as a track for her greatest ever intro and she went on at length um, about her love of, uh, of the band. Oh, God bless her. I go on at length. She's been on my podcast as well. So. Okay, yeah. track two, Martin. The first song you remember that had an emotional impact on you, please. Um, you've lost that loving feeling. I remember listening to it when I was listening to the radio under the sheets at home when I was about eight years old and I used to drift in and out on Radio Luxembourg. Um, I love the kind of epic nature of it and, and the kind of baritone voice of the guy from i can't remember his name now from righteous brothers and the fantastic production we're not allowed to talk about um phil Spector now because he's a total arsehole that's a weird situation isn't it it's you know it, i found that really weird because musically you know it was some of the stuff he'd done with some of the you know as an artist was incredible but you just can't it's just it's a really strange one you can't i think the nature of what you've done it's impossible to for me to separate the art from the man um yeah i mean uh, as far as i'm concerned he, he, you know he's worse than gary glitter and i've worked with gary glitter as well yeah uh i mean it's he, he, horrific yeah not only is he a murderer but he, he um forced his children to watch sexual acts mm. um, i mean he's a pedophile um, and that's what you know. Excessive. Don't do drugs, kids. That's what. That's what excessive cocaine use will do for you. Yeah. Um, but obviously, the guy was a complete arsehole. Mm. You know. Um, and what? It, and and sometimes that comes with genius. You know. Yeah. I have to say, you know, he invented an entire sound which I was totally in love with. I mean, the, you know, I'd say you've lost that loving feeling, and uh, touched me. In a, in a in a real way, and and so did um, River Deep Mountain High, and I went on to work with Tina, of course. Mm. You know, later, Martin, I saw Heaven Seventeen uh, tail end of last year at, at South End Cliff. Not tail end of last year, was it? It would have been the year before yeah. Um, yeah. at Cliff Pavilion uh, with Squeeze, and and I saw you perform uh, this very song. Um, the, the, right. the Righteous Brothers. And I just wondered, I know it was recorded by the, the Human League. Was that your suggestion? Was that that early yeah. love of that record that you suggested to the band that you recorded? it? Yeah. Uh, Phil isn't a, na a natural fan of soul music. Mm -hmm. I, I'm the kind of soul guy in the, in the, in the original Human League. Um, uh, and yes, it was my suggestion. We actually did a, a, a kind of demo uh, instrumental attempt at river deep mountain high as well oh really uh, uh, yeah which has never seen the light of day i don't think um it totally electronic in that form um so we were trying all sorts of things out at that point but but what we wanted what we realized in our early performances with the human league uh you know when we're still playing tiny tiny venues was we needed something to uh emotionally engage the audience yeah Oh, hold on a sec. Uh, we needed something to emotionally engage the audience um, uh, and surprise them. 
Uh, and, and we couldn't think of anything much more surprising than doing something that's like, you know, the kind of uh, enemy Connie Shenzi would regard as being kind of cheesy. Sure. And that, but but actually, the emotional nature of the kind of desolate desolation of the electronic soundscape that were created for it matched, for me, the true meaning of the, the emotional meaning of the song. In a different way to the original backing, obviously, but in a in in just as good a way, I I, I feel. Listen up, I've only got another new sponsor, Egg Fried. It's this super cool clothing label, and if you're into sort of skating and street art and gigging and, and kind of like really cool art and throwing a little bit of Asian culture and and the designers kind of weird sense of humour in the mix, then you're pretty much there with the wonderful world that is eggfried.com. Now, they do these amazing punchy kind of graphic tees, hoodies and sweatshirts, beautiful art prints, as well as this, they have a denim range, all handmade in-house, all supporting the slow fashion movement. Not only that, they've given you a discount code, 10% off when you head over to eggfried.com. Just use the code EGGSALAD, E-W-G-S-A-L-A-D, save 10%. Go and get lost in the world of egg fried. Also, They've got a new kids range, and it's called Small Fried, and it's super cool, super cute. Um, and again, it's all over there in this wonderful world. Go and get involved at eggfried.com. For track three, Martin, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to keep you in the, the, the earlier days and the, the formative years. I'm going to ask you uh, for a song that reminds you of your time at school, please. Yeah. Um, I met Phil Oakey. At, uh, at school when he, he moved to my um, grammar school in Sheffield. And um, he introduced me to lots and lots of stuff. And he was the first person who ever played me this track. And it reminds me of our school days in the common room, which was uh, Space Oddity mm. by David Bowie. I'm a massive Bowie fan, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, And we used to... We used to have, like, house parties at his house because his parents were often out of town. And we had the house to ourselves, and he had a posh house, and we didn't have a posh house. So, um, and he was one of the first person, first people I knew who had an eight-track cartridge player. And this meant that we could have all-night parties, uh, and he had all the early Bowie albums. And we, for the first time ever, we could put, an album on and it would play continuously forever and we used to do that with space oddity but the particular track itself i love because it had you know a stylophone on it and and the stylophone was my first ever electronic instrument was it yeah <laughs> wonderful uh and not only that i had a two stylus stylophone uh which was like a real kind of kind of prosumer product at the time no hardly anybody i knew knew had got one i think the, i think you can get some, get one on ebay now and they charge like a grand for them or something and i thought i was eno you know <laughs> <Your stylophone>. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first synthesizer yeah i mean how, how, how was school did you enjoy it not really no um i i the the grammar school I went to, which King Ed with the same school in Sheffield, Sheffield, is a big kind of 
uh, Victorian neoclassical edifice um, with, uh, and it was like a what it was like a wannabe private school. So all the masters had gowns. Um, most of them were totally disengaged and were just waiting to, to retire, you know. Yeah. Um, and there was a couple. There were a couple of them that were really incredibly violent and used to cane people as they had a sexual predilection for it. I presume. Yeah. Uh, I got caned for no no apparent reason one day uh, by our divinity teacher, Mister Baker. May he rot in hell. Uh, I presume he's dead now. Um, who used to take a run up. But he always, always used to make sure that nobody witnessed what he did. That's so dark, isn't it? I, I'm pretty sure he, he got a sexual thrill out of it, yeah. Terrifying. Terrifying. And, I, you know, you couldn't find anybody more compliant than me. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was a very quiet lad. So, did you have any kind of... I mean, was you a creative kid? Good question. Um, no, not really. Um, we didn't have any instruments in the house, musical instruments. I didn't even know I'd got a, um, a, a, you know, a kind of talent, to be honest. Um, I did recorder and choir at school. I could sing a bit, but I had no real kind of ambition to be a musician. And it was really electronic music and like Roxy music, I suppose, lit the fuse for me. Um, and, 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 you know, you know. You, I was, I was, that's the second time you sort of touched on, on on Eno. So when you'd hear them like Roxy Records and, and 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 Bowie and stuff like that, was there any part of your creative brain that was kicking in at an early age that would sort of maybe sort of look at how them records were being put together? Would you sort of you know deconstruct anything, or was you just listening to them on, on face value at that point? I was looking at stuff, uh, anything that had a kind of futuristic um, attitude to it. Yeah. Or, or an unusual sound. So I was naturally attracted from a very early age to um, to anything with a synthesizer in it for a start. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really, couldn't really put into words why. I still don't really fully understand why, but except I grew up in the 60s, which is like a highly futuristic age with the space race. And yeah. that was the main thing on the TV all the time. It's like every moonshot, every, you know, it was like... Oh, one year, you know, and then tomorrow's world, and what will the world be like in the year two thousand, which sounded impossibly far away. And um, it was a very kind of lying in the gutter, looking at the stars. Time, you know. Did you have any idea what what you wanted to do with your <laughs> life? I still don't. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had a plan. No, I never. To be honest, never even really considered it. A possibility to be in a band, uh, you know, a commercial, uh, a signed band. It came as a massive surprise. Well, um, because there were loads of bands in Sheffield who really, really wanted to be signed and were desperate, uh, and, and they just didn't have that. And um, we were going, well, we don't really give a fuck, you know. Um, that's interesting. And then, and then we got signed, and like every agent. <laughs> No, it's not quite true, but you know, there was a lot of uh, resentment. That, I, I find that really interesting because you know uh, the music industry is, is, is famously a very difficult business to you know succeed in and maintain success, and 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 so I normally like to ask guests at this point, like you know, are you driven? Um, I mean, it sounds like at that point you wasn't. 
Um, you know, I mean, tell me otherwise, but you know, did did drive sort of kick in as as the band started to kind of get success? Um, no, the drive kicked in as soon as we um, had a record out, and we um, and we realised that people liked what we did. Yeah, it's that simple. And then you go, this is the opportunity we've all been waiting for. Now going to devote our entire time and effort and mental acuity to making this work. As I touched on earlier, I, I, I saw you on stage um, yeah. 2019, you know, coming from behind the synth and singing and, and looking incredibly confident. Um, was you a confident young man? Uh, was I a confident young man? Um, no, not at all. I was bullied at school. Um, I was very quiet. Um, I always had a degree of kind of... Uh, try. I was willing to try things out. You know, I wasn't never. I've never been frightened to have a go at things. Mm. Um, and I always wanted to be different to other people. I suppose that was an impetus as well. I didn't want to follow the crowd. I always had this innate feeling that I wanted to be different in some way. And, uh, and and that manifests itself with hanging out with people who felt in a, uh, felt similarly, and we, we found I was very lucky to find a whole bunch of um, of people uh, 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 of my peers who felt the same, like Glenn, Ian, all at this thing called Meat Whistle, which was like a youth drama arts project thing. Tell us a little bit about that. Martin, what was that? Uh, it was an amazing thing. It was paid for by the council in Sheffield. It was in a, a an old um derelict well, not quite derelict um empty uh, uh school building just behind the city hall in sheffield uh and basically there's two people chris and veronica wilkinson who were actors who uh, uh managed to wheedle some money out of the um and the property um out of the um labor council and said, look, we, we, we want to do this youth project, which gives an outlet for, for a creative outlet for kids who are maybe not part of the normal run-of-the-mill run of kind of Sheffield thing. And so they went round, they actually publicised it in all the secondary schools and said, look, you can come here on the weekends or like one afternoon a week and try it out, you know. Ostensibly it was drama, but actually it turned into imaginary bands uh, messing about basically in any creative form you could oh, sounds incredible yeah it changed my life literally it was it was the turning point of my life well let's let's pick another record and let's stay again in those early days and uh, and for track four martin the first song you remember buying from a record shop yeah i uh <laughs> I'm not encouraging anybody to do this, by the way, but I, when I was young, I used to... Uh, uh, there was a gang of three or four of us just when I started going into town to look at record stores, and they used to have sales on, and uh, they used to have... Uh, every uh, uh, In the summer and at Christmas, they used to have sales on of stock that was spoilt in some way, like a lot of the times kids had nicked some covers from albums, for instance. Yeah. 
and stuff like that. Um, anyway, there was there was a whole rack of fifty p singles that had not got their their picture covers or whatever or any covers, and uh, it was Twentieth Century Boy by T Rex. What a track that is! Which again, as one of the great intros of all time. Yeah, hundred percent. And I actually went to see T Rex at the City Hall, and it was still to this day the best gig I've ever seen. Really. It's really interesting that you said that you know you just felt like you wanted to be different, and you know, and you you, you found your your peers, you know, you found your tribe, uh, you know, at that time, and yeah. and you know that must have been encouraged and influenced by seeing people like Eno, Bowie, Bolan, yeah. you know, yeah. Well, glam was a massive influence. <clears throat> I mean, you, you know, Gary Glitter, Glitter Band. Mm. Um. Anything that felt kind of futuristic and glamorous. Because, you, you know, I love Sheffield and the Sheffield people, but it's not a glamorous place. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, there there is a well-off part of Sheffield, but generally it's full of people who are uh, not well-off, you know. Yeah. And so the, it's not like you want to escape it because it's actually a pleasant place to live. But it's like you, you know that you're, um, if you want to fulfil any ambition, you've probably got to leave, yeah. unless you want to run a steelworks or something. Or you know, now it's different because obviously it's becoming, you know, like a lot of uh, repurposed um, centres for uh, that used to be manufacturing. Oh. It, it now become a kind of I, you know, uh, a specialist centre for IT and creativity and stuff. But um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, that that uh, that that, uh, that that was that. Yeah. And just just talking about, you know, seeing T-Rex, Bolan, Eno, you know, Roxy, etc. Like I'm I'm presuming that would have been sort of on the sofa watching Top of the Pops religiously each week. Yeah. Um and I love to ask guests this. Um how important was it and how exciting was it and was it everything you expected it to be when you got on Top of the Pops? <laughs> Top of the Pops was the was absolutely essential to be for yourself to regard yourself as a, 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 a as a pop star. Yeah. And also, your family and all your friends knew you were on the biggest show for pop music, um, as far as we were concerned, in the world. Yeah. And and so you know, just one appearance. It's a bit like getting one cap for England at yeah. football. You know, it doesn't matter. Forever you're an England international. Yeah. Right. The rest is details. You are a pop star. If you've ever been on top of the pops, you can claim to be a real pop star. And it, it was everything we thought it was going to be, and more. Can you remember who else was there the first time you you played? Uh, good question. That it was. And what was it? What, what what track was you performing? Yeah, it was rock and roll. Our version of rock and roll. Okay. Uh, part one, and and nightclubbing, um, and it would that would have been seventy nine or eighty. Okay. Um, and I can't remember who else was on, but I have to say I'm certain on the internet. There are sites that can tell you who was on every program. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure that's, uh, that's out there. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Um, did you, I mean, that, that it, it, I just I always find that, like, when watching Top of the Pops, you know, back then, it just felt for me that anyone that was on there was, like, walking off of that stage and then getting a Concord home. Like, no one was, was, was getting, the, <laughs> <laughs> getting the bus home. It was like, well, you're obviously well, multi-millionaires we now. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a very common thing. That's a very common thing. The number of people who think, if you've been on Top of the Pops, that you must be a millionaire. <laughs> It's just ridiculous. Oh, no. we, do, you know how much, do you know how much we were earning at that point? Go on. Um, we were paying ourselves £30 a week each. Wow. I was earning more before I joined, before I gave up my day job as a computer operator. I was earning twice as much. I took a 50% pay cut to become a pop star. <laughs> After your wages to go on top of the pops. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. Of course, it all pays off in the end. But you know, I'm saying at that point we were poor. Yeah, literally poor. And and just touching on record shops, um, as as you you know, as, as as your career developed, and 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 I'm bringing it up to to, to now. How important of, of of record shops and independent record shops been been for you? Um, I've always supported them. I mean, I, when I was growing up, um, there was a store called Rare and Racy which is near where I lived, which was uh, this fantastic second-hand um, record store that um, was cheap, so you could buy things on spec just because you like the cover, for instance. Um, or, uh, and then you could, if you didn't like them, you took, you took them back the next week and got half the, the kind of label price back and then buy something else. And that was my musical education. I used to buy all sorts of stuff. Anything that had an interesting cover or looked like it got electronic music on it. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's bring things forward uh, a few years now. And for track five, I'm going to ask you, Martin, the song that soundtrack your years clubbing. Yes. Uh, it, this could have been any number. I mean, I spent, you know, 10, 10 years... Uh, regularly clubbing every weekend, but um, there's one song that I that would always get me out in my seat whenever it was on. When I used to go down to the um, 
to uh, Penelope's Discotheque in Sheffield, okay. um, Penny's, and um, they always used to play an eclectic range of songs, a lot of kind of popular, cooler songs from America uh, and British songs as well. But the one that got everybody up was Joy and Pain by Maze. What a record that is. It's. Uh, have you ever seen them play live? Uh, uh, whenever I listen to this record, if I if I add it to anything I do on Spotify, I always add the live version. Right. Have you ever seen them play live? I haven't. Well, I went to see them at the Hammersmith Odeon. I have never been in an audience that was so, that was so entranced by an act. Really? Yeah. Ever. Not entranced. That's the wrong word. Uh, so engaged. Literally, the moment they walked on stage, everybody in the auditorium stood up, and it was a seated venue. Everybody, and everybody was dancing. See, it I... was, what, there wasn't encouragement from the stage. It was, and they're not really dance songs. A lot of the songs, yeah. It's like everybody knew all the lyrics. Everybody was singing. It was like everybody was in a nightclub. They were the most popular act I've ever seen in a live environment. Ever. I would not have expected you to say that. And and so is, is, is Frankie Beverly a really sort of charismatic front man? Do you know, there's something really weird. Um, they, they are so relaxed on stage. There's no kind of uh, patter or, you know, a little bit, but no more, nothing out of the ordinary. Um, it was all about a genuine warmth for the, for the source material from the public. They just loved those songs, and they loved the fact that were they were celebrating those songs being performed in like a cathedral of their musical love. Yeah, you know, that's all it was. So it wasn't like a kind of panto thing, where it's like, yeah, Hammersmith, and like you know, yeah, no special versions, no like fourteen minute guitar solos, nothing. It was all the arrangements, pretty much as they were on the records, and. The love in the room was... I've never experienced it anywhere else. Wow. You said there'd be many, because you said, you know, you've done 10 years or so of clubbing. Um, If you had to sort of throw in some other honourable mentions, have you got any that you'd like to to throw in the Uh, the playlist? Okay, so... um, Well, my first clubbing experience, which went on for, like, about two years, was really early doors at a place called the Penthouse Club in Sheffield, uh, where all of us from Meat Whistle went down there. And we used to go down there on student night, which is, like, where all the drinks were really cheap, Mm. which is Tuesday night, I think. Uh, Tempe drinks night. (laughs) That sounds good. You could get a pint of beer, watered-down beer for 10p, or a glass of wine, or, a, you know, a single shot and a, and a mixer. Or what everybody else did, which I, I couldn't do because I don't like it, but um, you could get a bottled barley wine, which used to get incredibly drunk. You know, it's a horrible drink. I don't know if you've ever had it. Mm. Uh, but barley wine was very poor. Anyway, uh, at that point, that was very much a glam club. But there's one track, actually, which I just was reminded of the other day. Uh, loads of Bowie and glam and stuff like that, and we'd dance all night. But there's one unusual track that really got everybody up and posing and dancing. And you'd never... If I give you a 1,000 picks, you'd never get it. Okay. And it, it was um, 
It was Faith Healer by the Sensational Alex Harvey Band. Oh, really? And if you've ever heard that on a big, uh, powerful disco system, it absolutely is incredible because it's like it's so cinematic. It's like it, it really sparks the imagination that track for me. And uh, I mean, there were things like Panic in Detroit, which all you, uh, at that point used to get people up, and you know, and and um, and uh, John and Money dancing and things like that. And then moving on a bit, a bit later on, in terms of uh, we used to dance to a lot of Michael Jackson. Yeah, you know. I mean, a lot from the off the wall, you know. Um, what a record! I mean, it just it's just ridiculous. Uh, don't stop till you get enough. Oh, you know? for me, um, that would be as one of the greatest ever intros. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's like you're immediately there, aren't you? And you're not going to leave the dance floor till it's finished. Certainly not. Certainly not. Um, so yeah, I mean that sort of stuff, and then. You know, I mean, there's too many to mention, but that that gives you an idea. Well, b- before I get on to the next track, there's 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 something I, I want to ask you. Talking about in- incredible soul singers and, and and soul music, I just want to know a little bit more about um, the discovery of of Terence Trent Darby and and your yeah. involvement in that. Because I, I, that that record, when I was going clubbing in in the late '80s, when Hardline dropped, you know, it was just we couldn't get enough of it. And and I think I think today it still sounds like an incredible record. And I just wonder. Uh, you know the, the the story behind your involvement. Yeah, in that. sure. Well, I was doing a lot of production uh, work at that time, and and um, obviously I'd had the big success with Tina, so yeah. I was kind of temporarily hot property. Um, and I turned down a couple of albums with um, that they offered me a huge amount of money to do uh, to go to America and and record in America with. Uh, I was offered Rod Stewart's album. And uh, which I turned down because he was a Tory. And uh, uh, that's a good story, isn't it? It's true as well. And um, and then more foolishly, I turned down Bette Midler because I thought her career was over. And then she went on to about 10, 10 Grammys. <laughs> <laughs> so I know fuck all, basically. You know. the, the, the bottom line is I didn't really want to move to America. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't mind visiting America, but I don't want to live there. Uh, I, I enjoy my friends and my family uh, in, in, in Britain. You know, I didn't want to leave Britain. Um, so, uh, yeah, Terence. So I was, anyway, I was hot property. Uh, I was doing loads of third-party production in Britain anyway, so I had plenty of work. And I was just about to start on another project, which I'd had a meeting with Wet, 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 I think, and I didn't really get on with him. Okay. He, was he was a bit of an arsehole. Hmm. Um, and I don't think they they were that keen on me either. Mm. Didn't put much effort into it anyway. Um, it might have been that or somebody else. Anyway, I can't remember. It was I'd kind of agreed to do another another artist, and then I got this panicky phone call from Sony, um, going uh, from this young A and R man called Lincoln Elias, uh, who turned out it turns out it was like eighteen, right? He said, "Mine, mine's really charismatic, dude." Uh, he said, we've got this amazing artist called Terence Trent Darby. I, you, you know, I really want you, want you to consider working with him. I'll send you, I'm going to send you a bike over with a cassette. And I said, well, I've kind of, you know, I'm kind of tied up for the next three months. He said, just listen to it. Trust me. And um, he sent me the cassette over and I was absolutely dumbfounded. What was on that cassette? 
Um, what was on the cassette was a whole bunch of songs, none of which made the first album. Okay. Uh, by the way, it sounded like. Uh, it sounded. It was in the. It was in the 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 the, the style of. Stevie Wonder, but okay. with like kind of Otis Redding, uh, Stevie Wonder complexity of songs, but uh, with a kind of Otis Redding fantastic voice that he had, that kind of Sam Cooke, Otis Redding thing going on. Had you even seen him at this point? No. Oh no, no. my God. <laughs> no. So, so, um, and I immediately rang back and, and said, I, I need to come in for a meeting. Can we do it tomorrow morning? And I thought I knew intuitively this what this guy was a massive star, just based on his songwriting and his voice, let alone what he looked like. If I, all I knew, he could have been a he looked like a big dustbin man, you know. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I'd never bear in mind this, I'd never even met the A and R guy, or he, we'd never talked before. It turns out a, 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 a little side story. It turns out that Lincoln. The reason he asked me, apart from he knew he had to work with Tina and all that stuff, and like what I did, when he was at school, uh, two years previously, he'd done his final project for his A-levels, A-level music, on BEF, believe it or not, my production company. Amazing. I know. uh, Is that fate or what? So um, he had a natural love of everything that I was doing anyway. And I was just going, oh, this is fucking great. Right, so I went to the meeting, and of course, Terry is like a god. I mean, literally, he looks like he's stepped. You know, he had the style, but also he had the grace, talent, obviously. Uh, every woman wanted to be with him. I mean, you walk down the street, and literally women would uh, turn round and yeah. look look. I mean, Terence Trent Darby did not lack star quality. And, and, and a, a, a funny sort of story for you as well, Martin, where I live out in, in Essex, when, um, when Terence broke and, uh, and, you know, he seemed to be on everywhere and, you, you know, wherever you looked, there was, there was Terence Trent Darby records. His, um, his then girlfriend, I believe, uh, lived in the council estate where, where I live. And uh, and there'd be this really posh car, like parked up on this very rough estate, and we'd all be like going down there on our push bikes, and it'd be like, "That's Terence Trent Darby. He's gone in that flat." And we'd all be like waiting around, <laughs> hope, hoping to get a glimpse of him coming out the flat to get back in this like posh old car with a driver. <laughs> wow! I'm just going to take you back to to Sheffield now for track six. And, yep. uh, and ask you for uh, your favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. Yeah, um, well, is a fellow Sheffield boy who I've always admired, Richard Hawley. Incredible. Uh, he's such a great musician. I, I, he, he's, uh, he's a fellow Sheffield Wednesday fan, so I see him at the games occasionally. Um, and I've, I've just always had a soft spot for him. Everything he's done, really. Yeah. Um, but the one track that I really love above all else is Cole's Corner, primarily because I remember Cole's Corner when I was growing up. It's where you used to meet mm. uh, girls. Uh, you used to arrange to meet at Cole's Corner in town. It was the place. And you could go down there and there'd always be 
a bunch of young people waiting nervously for their dates to turn up. So as a piece of social observation, it's an incredible uh, subject matter. You know, it, it resonated with me, obviously, but, you know, those places occur in every town. Yeah. Right? And it's a beautiful record, isn't it? His voice is just, oh. You know, he's, he's, I didn't find out until I did a, a podcast with him recently. He was really close friends with Scott Walker, for instance. Really? Yeah, he was only one of six people invited to Scott's um, funeral. Wow. Yeah. Was that through the Pulp thing? Because did, did Pulp, did Jarvis do something with, with I think Scott so, Walker, yeah. possibly? Uh, uh, yeah. But you know, Richard's a, a, a top session player. That's, that's how he met a lot of these people. It's like, it's like a, that secret society of top session players who yeah. know each other internationally, you know. He's, and he, uh, he's played on loads of, of, of kind of uh, uh, American artists. Oh, really? Uh, into Nashville, yeah, he's done all that stuff. Because I... Um, Listen to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Episode one. Well, Episode I'm... one with Richard. Electronically yours with Martin Ware. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tag that in the, uh, in the bio for this episode. Um, I'm, I'm a huge Richard Hawley fan. I, I got to meet Richard early on, uh, a fair few times. My band done uh, a fair few gigs with the Long Pigs. Um, when, when, right. when he was in them and to then sort of see him pop up in pulp and then just to then sort of to, to see him as a solo artist and, and just hear that just I, I just think he's an absolute talent like in, in and you know what he's a totally genuine person who's a proper artist he can't help it he's compelled to be an artist Wonderful. You know, he did a, a, a musical, which was on at the Crucible in, in, in Sheffield, a jukebox musical of, well, it wasn't, he didn't write it, but it featured his songs. Really? I didn't know anything about this. No, no, it's called Standing at the Sky's Edge. Okay. And I went to, I went to see it, and uh, the run, it was on at the Crucible for like a month, and it sold out every seat. And it was just about to transfer to the National and go on tour for a year with the National... And and then COVID came along. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ah. <sighs> <sighs> All right, you can play DJ now for track seven. A song okay. that many may not know that you would like them to hear. Okay. Uh, again, there were millions of these because I've got such ridiculous eclectic tastes in music. But there's somebody um, who I've always been massive. Uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of... Uh, of a lot of my peers in in music, okay. Uh, not that I don't like them. It's just it's not 
I don't necessarily go out and buy the, you know, the 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 other person, the other band's electronic album, for instance. Or yeah. Something. I'm more interested in, you know, graphic design or photographers or, or 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 more eclectic music or whatever. But there is one person, from who was my peer in the eighties, who I've always had massive respect for, which is uh, Green Gartside and Scrittability. What a talent he and, was. Oh, and the the song that turned me on to this was Faithless from uh, Songs to Remember album. And the 12-inch of that is one of the most beautiful arrangements. You know, like, so you, you hear somebody and you think, this has just come out of nowhere. Yeah. Right, to, right up into my top three favourite things of all time. And if you've never heard this, I mean, it's not one of his most... Uh, pop, uh, not one of his most famous songs. It's an early one as well, isn't it? It's from like '82, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's incredible. Just listen to it. The, the gospel arrangements, the 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 um, composition shifts around in a almost like a kind of jazz way. Yeah. In between different um, keys, his vocals are so beautiful. And I was lucky enough to work with him, obviously, on various projects. Uh, with the BF album that I did with him, we did a Stevie Wonder cover version, and uh, I also produced a couple of singles that got in the top ten. What, famed what ones versions. were they? Um, uh, the the one that the one with Shabba Ranks. Okay. That we did, uh, which was uh, "Take Me in Your Arms and Love Me," was it? Yeah, I can't remember. And uh, the one with um, Sweetie Irie. Or was that Take Me In Your Arms and Love Me? Anyway, those two. Uh, um, and uh, I think he wanted somebody like me as a producer stroke arranger yeah. to take him out of his um, endless revision. He's one of those people who won't let go of the dark. You know, He will keep working on tracks forever. And I just said, it sounds fucking great. Just, just do it, you know. But it's, what a voice, by the way! Uh, incredible wow. voice, and 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 when you sent that over, it, I, I just went and d- down a complete hole of of listening to Scritty Pilitty again. And and what's interesting in that early stuff, I'm not sure if it's on this track or the track that followed it on the album. He messes around with like a vocoder effect, yes, and and it is then this track. fast forward to I guess mid to late '80s, he recorded from. Correct me if I'm wrong. He recorded with Roger Trapman of Zap Band. Was it Boom There She? Yeah, yeah. And and I just thought it was hearing. I'd never heard him with the vocoder so early on. I thought he'd obviously heard Zap or whatever. And and then yeah, fast forward however many years, and yeah, he's working with with, with Trapman. He had very. He was a. He's an enormous music fan, as you can imagine. Yeah, Green. Um, his 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 uh, the he's a very very strong fan of uh, uh, dance hall and, and, and Jamaican um, you know contemporary mm-hmm. version of, of uh, 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 you know toasting, reggae, whatever you yeah. want to call it um, so you know this was his opportunity to work with some of those people uh, the, the two tracks that I did with him but he's also an enormous fan of uh, as you can tell from Cupid and Psyche, mm. you know an enormous fan of funk and uh, and and kind of song oriented, 
kind of funky influenced dudes. So we got on really well because that's really a large part of what influenced me as well. Yeah. Well, what we do, Martin, is we put together a, a Spotify playlist to accompany uh, this podcast so people can go through and listen to uh, all your song yeah. choices and, and, and some of the other tracks that we've, we've chatted about today. Um, as we find ourselves steaming into 2021 in a very, very strange place, um, what are you looking forward to, you know, with, with, a, with a positive mindset, looking that this year is going to see us hopefully sort of return to an element of, of, of a, a normality? Um, what are you looking forward to personally and, and what's happening professionally? OK, well, uh, I'm looking forward to walking on stage and seeing an audience again, a real audience. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realise how much I'd, I missed it, to be honest, um, because you just get on with stuff, don't you? Um, I'm not blasé about any of it. We always have a good relationship with our audiences and we always appreciate what we do. But, yeah. you know, um, the sharing of communal joy yeah. is a very important thing, you know, in my life. And you can either do it as an observer or you can do it as some, if you're lucky enough, you can do it as somebody who's helping to create that. And that, that means more to me than anything, more than being in the studio or recording albums or anything like that. Um, uh, as I mentioned, um, we had over 40 gigs cancelled this year, uh, which have all been mostly rearranged. We were due to do our first proper American tour headlining uh, as well, which has been uh, need to be rearranged. We were going to do Germany as well. But the most exciting thing that got cancelled three days after lockdown was we were going to restage the first two Human League albums with Hem17. Wow. Uh, and with, with full production, full visual production, like the early slideshows and everything, uh, but on a massive scale. We were, gonna, it, we were due to perform it three days after lockdown was called at the oh. Roundhouse and Sheffield City Hall. So that's rearranged for late autumn. Hopefully we'll be all right by then, I hope. I hope. Wonderful. Um, and um, I, with my uh, 3D soundscape company, Illustrious, we are... I'm currently working on with my son, Gabriel, who's in the room with me at the moment, um, who's a composer as well. We're currently working on um, a three-dimensional sound installation, which is going to be in a, uh, a gallery on the Grand Canal in Venice. Wow. Uh, it was due to be on. It was due to be on in December last year, but obviously it's had to be postponed for a year. Um, so that's coming up. Um, I'm enjoying doing my podcast series. Mm-hmm. It's a great excuse to reconnect with people I've not seen for a while. And what can people expect from that, Martin? Um, lots of famous people. It's basically a load of people that I've stayed friends with over the years for the last 40 years in my as a producer. Mm-hmm. I just did. Um, I'll tell you a list of people, actually. I think you'll be quite interested with this. One second, un secondo. <coughs> oh, excuse me. And what's the concept of the podcast? Uh, the concept is uh, an informal kind of biographical chat, really. Yeah. Uh, a bit like this, but except you've got the structure of the songs. Yeah. Um, for this, these are all people, generally, that people know anyway. Mm. So uh, we don't need to contextualise it in any way. Um, so last week I had Glenn Matlock on, for instance. Wonderful. And uh, so far we've had Richard Hawley, Ellie Jackson... Uh, Glenn, Glenn Gregory, of course. Uh, Sandy Shaw. Wow. Uh, Graham Fellows, uh, you know, John Shuttleworth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Animatronic from Scissor Sisters. 
Glenn Matlock. This this uh, this current episode is Kim Wilde. I just uh, I just recorded uh, Vince Clark and Jeff Wayne oh, from War of the World. I'm uh, I'm very jealous of Vince Clark. Very very jealous. I'm a Basildon boy and uh, oh oh yeah you said I you know it's weird and I can identify the accent. I um I I run a a, a club in Essex. Um, just I mean talking about the early sort of synth nights at. Um, in Sheffield, I, I run a club um, called the Pink Toothbrush in Rayleigh in Essex that used to be called Crocs, and right. and, and Crocs was the well uh, Depeche Mode with the resident band Culture Club played their first show there and Soft Cell come through and it was it was uh, it was one of the early sort of new romantic clubs outside of London, and, right, uh, right, right, and yeah, and so Depeche Mode are our, our absolute hometown heroes and and yeah, massive fan of Vince. The work you've done with Vince. Um, obviously, you know, Erasure and, and, you know, the stuff he done with, with Alison, you know, with Yazoo, it's like, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very jealous of that one. He's, uh, I, right. I, I met him once. I met him, um, I done a, I'm club promoter as well in, in, in town and I, I put a night on with Andy Bell called Quiet Life and, uh, and it was around the time of, I don't know if you remember, but maybe 10 years ago, Mute done a big weekender at the Roundhouse in, um, in, in London and, and Yazoo reformed and played. And uh, and so Vince yeah. and Vince was in town, and the uh, he popped down to the night, and uh, and it was it was surreal getting to to, to to. I was trying my best not to be like a a, a ridiculous fan, <laughs> but then once I mentioned that I, I, I run Crocs and uh, and uh, I was from Basel, and that was it. It was it was like a kind of Coles Corner type thing. It was like, is that still there? I was like, oh yeah, that's still there. It was uh, it was lovely to uh, to sort of uh, you know somebody that I'd stood in Milton Keynes Bowl with ninety thousand people and watched him play live. It was like he's sitting next to me now. We're nattering around the video shop that was in Basildon. It was uh, it was lovely. He's um, he's an incredible lad, and um, he's like an angel to me. Mm. You know, um, likewise Andy Bell. Yeah. Um, I've also worked with um, Alison Moye, yeah, who is a, a bit angular, if I'm if I'm being honest, but still a lovely person. Yeah. Um, but the other people that, I'm, that are coming up are uh, um, Mal from Cabaret Voltaire. Oh wow! Who's an old friend of mine. Midjour. Um, Superb. Chris Watson also from Cabaret Voltaire. Yeah. Um, and uh, and uh, Johnny Vegas. Oh, wonderful. Thomas Thomas Dolby, Claudia Brooken. I, I've got some pretty good people coming up. I, I listened to Thomas Dolby on the Adam Buxton podcast. Yeah. Uh, and my knowledge of, of Thomas Dolby was she blinded me with science and, uh, yeah. and, 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 and just, you know, some, some synth pop stuff from, from me, me early years. I did not realise just how much stuff that, that guy had done. Like, yeah, it was fascinating. He's a really good musician. He, he performed with us on the BEF, live BEF shows as well. Oh, and he right. did, he, he did uh, She Blinded Me With Science, which is fantastic. Oh, so we got wonderful. to play that. And uh, I wanted him to do wind power, but uh, I just remember him on top of the pops with the wind machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, superb. Oh, my God. Um, before we wrap things up, Martin, if people want to keep up to speed with, with everything you're up to, um, yes. where's the best place for that? Okay, hem17.com for mm-hmm. hem17, um, illustriouscompany.co.uk for my 
3D soundtrack, it's the 3D soundscape work. Um, my podcast is electronically yours with Martin Ware. It's on every podcast pl- platform, pretty much. Um, what else? Um, I'm still doing loads of production. I'm, I'm on. Oh, good. I must be the most contactable person on earth, by the way. <laughs> I'm on. I'm on. I'm on Facebook. You don't have. To, I've got no secret names. I'm not hidden behind any kind of alter egos. If you just search for my name on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, Instagram. I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going down that path yet. No, but, um, we, we've got no place on TikTok, Martin. That's for that's for no, the kids, mate. It's not, it's not for us. It's not for us. Martin, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. I, I really appreciate your time, mate. All right, man. Thank you. There you go. What an absolute delight that was. Uh, we had a few technical hitches, but we got through it. And uh, and so thanks to 76 for getting the scissors out and, and, and chopping out the bits where the, the Wi-Fi dropped out a little bit. This is one of the, the many things that um, uh, are, are coming through this, this new way of, of, of recording and talking over Zoom whilst we're in the situation that we're in. And uh, and so I understand and appreciate the fact that you, you get it. Uh, you know, we, we can't all go and sit in lovely studios with a, a, a cup of tea and, and chat face to face at the moment. It's just not something we can do. So we have to use what what we've got at our disposal, which is Zoom. And uh, and on the whole, it's amazing. But every now and again, the Wi-Fi might drop out. So so thanks to 76 for being able to sort of tidy that up and, and give you the best listening experience you can get from this pod chat. Um, as mentioned again at the beginning, if you enjoyed uh, the chat today, go and have a rummage in the archives. Go and, uh, if you like your synth pop, there's a big bundle of synth pop acts that I've chatted to. And, uh, and yeah, go and have a, go and have a rummage. There's, um, you'll, you'll see a fair few artists in there that we've discussed today, from LaRue to Andy McCluskey from OMD, and, and many, many more. Go and, have a, go and have a look. And you can find out about all of this stuff at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. I'm back next time. In the meantime, stay safe. Go and check out all the websites and such that... Um, that Martin mentioned, head over to Spotify and, and listen to the playlist that um, that Martin's put together uh, to accompany this chat. And, and I'll see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Eat